Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT Podcast. I'm joined today by Doug Berger. Uh, Doug is the founder of the not-for-profit industry Reimagine 2030. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Dan. No, great, great to have time to to talk, Doug. And I think the work you're doing at uh, Industry Reimagined is is really interesting. So, please, for those of you who don't know, um, please share a bit of insight, Doug, into kind of what you do and and how everything came about. Terrific. So, um, I founded a nonprofit, Industry Reimagined 2030, and I founded it out of the observation that we had a lot of amazing things happening to stimulate manufacturing, yet manufacturing continued to decline as a percent of a lot of economies in the world, and in particular, as a percent of the economy in the United States. And that that was not well understood by people. The impact of it was not well understood and what individuals could actually do to influence that was not well understood. So I founded Industry Reimagined to paint a picture of the world as it, as it is, the world as it is emerging, and the actions that we can take to bring about that emerging world. Yeah, I, I think it's a, you're shining a spotlight on an area, Doug, that, that is interesting. What, what, what's your back background then to kind of give you the, the impetus and the passion to, to do this? Well, I started my career in, um, in IT and software the development. Then I spent a large part of my career as a management consultant. And most of my consulting experience was globally in manufacturing operations, okay. where, um, where I saw how innovative approaches uh, could really transform the competitiveness of operations that people really thought fundamentally could not be made to be world competitive. And so um, a few years ago, I really made a decision that I wanted to have impact at a much larger scale beyond individual company impact. So I took a lot of my experience and my passion working with individual companies to how could we make a difference at scale uh, to transform uh, the manufacturing sector of the economy. Okay, no, that's a really, really nice overview there, Doug. So my, my question is, what visibility, or sorry, what industry visibility do you, do you think you have best scope of? And is there certain industries that are having that decline or inevitable decline greater than others? Uh, in fact, you know, in the, I would say that all, let me speak around the United States, which is really yes. my area of expertise. Pretty much all manufacturing operations in the United States have experienced decline some more than others, and the timing of that decline has varied. So the textile industry and the furniture industry were very early uh, in the wave of decline, but we've seen decline hitting the semiconductor industry, advanced manufacturing. So decline has really been across the board, if you will, on anything that is manufactured in the United States speaking again in particular about the United States. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's an important point, isn't it? You know, your experience and what you're focused on really is about the US, Doug, isn't it? And I guess that's that's you know there will be different nuances across the world, but that that makes sense. That I guess there's been a slow trend across different industries having that inevitable decline with uh, stuff being manufactured outside of the US. Um, one of I know that the points you're keen on is, is shifting that mindset from inevitable decline to, to vibrant opportunity. So talk me through a little bit about that, Doug. Well, first, the mindset of inevitable decline. All right. A lot of people that will listen to this podcast will go, well, I don't think manufacturing is in inevitable decline because that's the kind of people that listen to this kind of podcast, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. if you will. All right. But when you look out into the world, all right, you can see that there are a lot of people, a vast majority of people in different countries, again, particularly in the United States, all right, have a, a kind of grew up in a world in which manufacturing was in decline. It's the only world that they've known. Twenty-five years, and so this idea that it's all—it's the world we all grew up in, in a sense. Yeah. If you're under fifty years old, it's the world you know. Yes. So that's inevitable yes. decline, and inevitable decline gives us a certain lens where, when we look out at the opportunities, we don't see opportunities in the United States. We see opportunities basically to reshore. When we look at young people. And they say, well, where are the opportunities for my career? You know, 25 years ago, young people said, manufacturing is a great opportunity. I can raise a family. I can build a good middle-class lifestyle for myself. You don't hear that today yeah. from young people. So that's that inevitable decline part, yeah. all right? Yeah, makes and how it's kind of seeped into our worldview. Yeah. So then... The idea is to bring attention to the fact that this really has seeped into a prevailing mindset and let's shift it. Let's pay particular attention to that that mindset while prevailing is not actually inevitable, all right? That it's outdated, mm -hmm. that there are a lot of emerging opportunities in manufacturing but they've not yet really reached scale. <clears throat> Hence, that's why I call it Industry Reimagined 2030, <laughs> because what I'm really looking at is I'm really looking at opportunities for manufacturing that will most certainly reach scale somewhere in the time period 2030 to 2035. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense, Doug. And I, I appreciate you kind of qualifying that sentence because, you know, you're right. The people who listen to this podcast will go, you know what? Manufacturing is booming. We're, we're super busy. So, yeah, I think it, it's an important one to look that away from people in the industry to kind of those with the outside view looking in. So, so no, that makes sense. Um, so one of the things that I took from, from one of the, the kind of your, your TED talk, as it were, Doug, that you sent me before was this line of invented here, made there, imported back and, and I really resonated with that sentence so talk me through a little bit about your, your kind of thinking on that and and how things like that are happening well again that that pretty much sums up what the prevailing mindset is yeah that the prevailing mindset is the United States is extraordinarily innovative in inventing 
new technologies, inventing new products, that when it comes to um, manufacturing them at scale, we look to manufacture them at scale in China or Asia, Korea, you know, like that, all right? And then what do we do? We're a consumer, we've become a consumer economy, and then we import back. And that invented here, made there, imported back, is really, you know, kind of the, the net effect of this um, prevailing mindset that we've uh, been living in. And again, we haven't realized the, how vital it is to make things here in the United yeah. States. That for every manufacturing job in the United States, it generates a multiplier effect of three to four to five really good paying jobs elsewhere in the United States, either in the manufacturing supply chain or in the local community, you know, because manufacturing jobs are well-paying jobs. You know, the jobs that were dirty, dark, dangerous, and low-paid, <laughs> those jobs are going away. Yeah. The jobs of the future, they're the jobs that require skill. They're the jobs that are paying $80,000 a year or more. And that's one of those things that people get wrong, if you will, that inside the, the old mindset, they keep um, repeating um, misperceptions without yeah. questioning them. And inside, and that's one of the things that we're trying to highlight is that there are a lot of outdated misperceptions that are running around as if they're contemporary facts. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think that's one of the things that I've been really passionate about with with the podcast, Doug. And, you know, and that that is also kind of from a recruitment perspective, obviously, which is my background in terms of pushing more youngsters into manufacturing, maybe getting rid of some of those old narratives, the kind of old stereotype of what the shop floor or, or production center was like. Um, so, so that definitely makes sense and resonates with me. One of the things that I, I was curious to, to touch on with you and, and to maybe give our audience a little bit more insight is, is when we talk about manufacturing, we're not just talking about obviously the huge blue chips. We're talking about the smaller companies, aren't we? The, the less less than, you know, what, 100, 200 employees, the kind of SME manufacturers. So talk me through a little bit about some of the insight and, and, and facts around those manufacturers and, and, and their, their uh, situation at the moment. Terrific. So, um, in the United States, there is something like 300, 350,000 organizations that are considered manufacturing organizations, all right? But within that cluster, 300,000 of them are small and medium-sized manufacturers. The vast majority of manufacturers in the United States employ less than 50 people. Yeah, that's crazy statistic. I didn't realize that at all. I had no idea. And that's not, that's not uh, if you will, unique to the United States, all right? Yeah. So that's, um, I can't speak about China, but that would be true of most manufacturing, for example, in the Western economies. So um, a lot of what, there's a lot of good foundation work that's been happening. All right. In the United States, they just passed in the last couple of years, they passed some major legislation and policy and funding for revitalizing manufacturing in the United States. And this was a big deal. But when you look at it, 
it's aimed primarily at the end manufacturer, which is typically the large company. Mm. So what we really need to appreciate is we need to appreciate the depth of the supply chain that that when you're making a car today, there are 3000 suppliers that go into a car. All right. Now, those 3000 don't all directly sell to General Motors or Ford or Chrysler. They may sell to companies selling to Ford, GM, and Chrysler because the supply chain goes five, six levels deep. Sure. In, in chemicals, the same thing is true. You know, you pick up something that is plastic, that's made of plastic, it could have a supply chain that's six, seven, eight layers deep. All right. And a lot of those companies are small manufacturing companies. So we need to be thinking not only of the big companies, but we need to be thinking of the proliferation of small and medium-sized companies and how we make them more competitive, how we bring them more into the public eye, because that's where the vitality of communities comes from, is it comes from the small and medium-sized manufacturers. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you and I chatted bef before the recording, Doug, on that topic. And that's something I was keen for you to, to share with the audience because it's a really interesting one. I think from my perspective, definitely when I talk about manufacturers, I'm always thinking of these huge big firms, not, not the companies that make up the supply chain, that make up the supply chain of <laughs> the, the, the blue chips. Um, so, so whilst we're talking on supply chain and, and that's a topic, a hot topic at the moment, obviously with the COVID situation, the geopolitical, you know, the, the backlog from factories being shut in China, as it were, during the lockdowns and such. Do, do you think the industry, the supply chain sector as well, Doug, has reached an inflection point with within the last couple of say two and a half years where things are now starting to be reshored or nearshored and, and repurposely be built back in the States? The answer is yes and no, <laughs> okay? So the yes part of it is that if you look at the uh, amount of goods re being reshored, all right, mm. it's higher than ever. Okay. At the same time, however, the, um, the percent of goods made in the United States is lower than ever. <laughs> okay. So while we are reshoring, all right, we're not, we're not, if you will, reversing the tide on the amount of goods percentage-wise that's made in the United States. You know, and there are, um, and can we do that? Absolutely, mm. all right? Um, the foundation is in place, but um, are we taking full advantage of that? No, we're not. And in large part, the hindrance of that is in fact this hidden supply chain. Mm. The hindrance of that is it's not merely a matter of making the end product here in the United States. It's a matter of making all of the parts, assemblies, components, ingredients that go into the end product and bringing that into the United States. And that's actually more challenging because it's much more demographically uh, distributed if you will. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that leads on to my my kind of next question, Doug. Really, is, is that how can companies revitalize their supply chain, and and why is this so so imperative that they do so for for kind of future prosperity? Well, <clears throat> there's there's a couple of real exemplars in the world of companies that have truly got world class supply chains, and the one that always stands out as a, almost a tear in and of itself around its world-class supply chain is Toyota. Mm -hmm. And there are several things that uh, distinguish Toyota that pretty much any large company could do and few do. So one of the things that distinguishes Toyota and that we're promoting at, um, uh, actively as a pathway for the United States, one of the things that distinguishes Toyota is the way that it goes about creating continuous improvement through the engagement of its workforce. Okay. So it's been doing that for over 20 years, all right, and continues year after year after year to find new opportunities to drive productivity improvements, profit improvements, customer value uh, added improvements in this thinking of continuous improvement and engaging its workforce to do that. Then having in a sense mastered that for themselves, they now are driving that same skill set and philosophy down into their supply chain. So they're now working with their supply chain in a collaborative way to have their supply chain become increasingly oriented around continuous improvement and, and employee engagement. And so that's taking the leverage, if you will, of a large manufacturer. Instead of just being transactional, I'm gonna buy from the lowest cost supplier, all right? Yeah. And there's no supplier development. There's no loyalty in that regard. All right. The, instead of doing that, all right, saying, no, wait a second, the real gain here is to develop a collaborative long-term type of relationship. And in fact, Toyota started doing exactly that in the United States, all right, and developed in the United States a whole program of doing exactly that continuous improvement within its own facilities, and then driving that kind of collaborative continuous improvement environment with its supply chain. Because when you look at the supply chain, a lot of the opportunity for um, gains really is in the intersection between what the supplier does and what the buyer does. Yeah. So if you just treat it transactionally, you're foregoing a lot of the profit opportunity that's available if you actually start to collaborate. No, I think that's a really interesting one, Doug. And I guess it kind of leads quite nicely onto my next kind of topic I want to discuss. And that was around transforming company competitiveness. And, and I know that's something that, you know, equally you're passionate about. So, so what are the pillars for transforming company competitiveness and, and how can people listening to the podcast who, who work in SME manufacturing, you know, 
take on this and utilize this? Terrific. So, you know, there are really three fundamental pillars, all right? The first pillar that everyone thinks about is, well, advanced manufacturing technology. Yeah. And that's yeah. a valid pillar. You know, um, over the last five to seven years, there have been fundamental changes in the economics associated with robotics, associated with cobots, these collaborative robotics that can work side by side with human beings, uh, with 3D printing, so uh, with generative design. So there have been some real dramatic changes with uh, computer numerical control equipment. So I can make things now that I couldn't make and I economically, and I could use technology now at the small, medium-sized company level. So installing, for example, cobots, um, you can do that anywhere between $10,000 and $25,000, which makes it very affordable for yeah. a small and medium-sized manufacturer where the business case is right for that. So yeah. that's one area for driving competitiveness and what's difficult about that, what hinders that, is that it's very difficult for the individual small, medium-sized manufacturer to actually do all of the technical evaluation necessary in order to determine, is there a good business case for advanced production technology? And if so, what kind of advanced technology um, should um, I deploy? So mm -hmm. that's one side of it. Second side of it is the whole uh, internet of things. Yes. All right, and the industrial internet of things. And in particular, what it affords people is it affords people one very timely, accurate, trustworthy data that for a lot of companies right now, um, data is a matter of opinion rather than a matter of fact, <laughs> all yeah. right? Different people have different understandings of what's actually going on on the shop floor. How many did we make today is actually not a common fact that's trustworthy in a lot of companies. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole idea of the trustworthiness of data and the, uh, the analysis of data to make better decisions. So the internet of things, the industrial internet of things is really providing access to uh, trustworthy data and with artificial intelligence and machine learning, we could start to see patterns that we couldn't see before. Yeah. And those patterns now enable us to drive better decisions around maintenance, around machine uptime, around production scheduling, things like that. So that's the second area of uh, uh, opportunity for driving uh, competitiveness. And the third area is, again, this area of continuous improvement and employee engagement that is oftentimes referred to as the Toyota production system or mm. been renamed in the United States to be lean manufacturing, yeah. all right? And there's a whole methodology, and but that in and of itself, while it's been proven to generate real gains in a company's competitive performance and profitability, 
it's only widely deployed, Barry, around 10 to 15% of manufacturers in the United States. So that's the part of the problem is we've got the answers that are out there, <laughs> whether they're technology-based answers or whether they're continuous improvement employee engagement-based answers. But in all of those examples, only about 10 to 15% of companies are truly benefiting from the application of those relevant uh, opportunity areas. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting to hear you speak on that, Doug. And obviously, I can sense the passion in the words that you're saying and how it's coming across. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. But I also think that what, what I'm hearing as well is, um, and I'm going to use a phrase that somebody else used, it's, it's not mine, the, the, the gray-haired ceiling. And what, what I think is really going to be exciting over the next future, future over the next few years even, um, is as the, the kind of Gen G millennials into the workforce and a different generations start getting into manufacturing we're talking about driving employee engagement which really is a hot topic for the younger generation sustainability and technology as well sustainability in general and, and these are going to be areas that i think are key to driving a younger demographic and workforce into manufacturing but also then you know revitalizing an industry that you know maybe it's predominantly male orientated predominantly you know maybe not not seen as a cool space to go for the younger generation and it's this area that that we're talking about now which are the active uh, initiatives that we've got underway at industry reimagine so mm -hmm. one of our active initiatives is how do we take this arena of lean manufacturing which has proven effectiveness yes. right? and doesn't require capital equipment in order mm -hmm. to implement. How do we take that and expand that from the 10 to 15% of manufacturers that are deploying it? How do we cross the chasm and get that much more widely deployed? How do, and it's not merely a matter of publicizing it. It's really a matter of, if you will, simplifying what lean manufacturing is, add, adding velocity to the outcomes that it's capable of achieving so that it becomes highly sought after by the small and medium-sized manufacturer. The same thing is true in Industry 4.0. We've got to simplify how we talk about Industry 4.0. We have to simplify the use cases for Industry 4.0 simplify how it gets adopted. So for the big companies, they're looking for the custom solution. Yes. All right. For the small company, they need the 80% solution. They don't need the custom solution. So I look at it like it's the difference between installing SAP to do your accounting yeah. and installing QuickBooks to do your accounting. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. If, you know, in I understand that what you're saying. You know, and so we we've made you know the market has driven Industry 4.0 to focus on the big company, yeah. To focus on the custom solutions that big companies require, the integrated solutions that big companies require, and small companies don't have those requirements, those needs. And so we've, in a sense, over-designed what the small business needs in the same way 
that we were guilty of doing that in other areas of computer technology. And then someone came along and said, wait a second, all right, there's a whole huge target market that's being unaddressed right now, mm. all right? What can we rethink to be disruptive and you know, go for volume in a target market? So that's a lot of what Industry Reimagine is working collaboratively with thought leaders in the lean manufacturing area on how do we simplify lean for adoption across the chasm with Industry 4.0 providers, how do we simplify it to cross the chasm and working with, um, if you will, national trade associations that have the reach into yes. the small and medium-sized manufacturer, working with them in order to have their reach become a multiplier for the companies to actually advantage themselves from these areas. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really interesting, Doug, and I, I'm conscious of the time. So I think what I'd like to do is definitely invite you back onto the podcast in a few years time to see how you're getting on with things. Um, and if there's anything in the meantime that um, that we can do to kind of shine more of a light on, on the great work you're doing in industry, I imagine I'd definitely be keen to do that. But um, for, for the meantime, Doug, re really appreciate your time on the podcast. Uh, and where can people find more information about what you're doing then? I, obviously, I'll include a link to your website. And stuff, yeah, but perfect. Just have yeah. a little plug, you know, little plug to finish. Yeah, our website is... <laughs> Our website is industryreimagine2030.org or much more simpler, ir2030.org, okay? Lovely. And there are opportunities for people to get more information and there are opportunities for people to kind of raise their hand and say, you know, I, I'm all in. This I stand for revitalizing manufacturing in the United States and bringing more emphasis to down to the community level of what needs to happen yeah no sounds good Doug. well look thanks again for your time really appreciate your passion and interest and thanks for joining me on the podcast wonderful daniel pleasure having having me talking to your audience oh, you're welcome cheers Doug. bye <music>